0: This is Jeb Blunt, author of Fanatical Prospecting, the ultimate guide to opening sales conversations and filling the pipeline by leveraging social selling, telephone, email, text, and cold calling. And you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett.
1: Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today we're joined by Jeb Blunt, and we're going to talk about his new book, Fanatical Prospecting, the ultimate guide to opening sales conversations and filling the pipeline by leveraging social selling, telephone, email, text, and cold calling. Jeb Blunt is a sales acceleration specialist who helps sales organizations reach peak performance fast by optimizing talent, leveraging training to cultivate high-performance sales culture, developing leadership and coaching skills, and applying more effective organizational design. Jeb has more than 25 years of experience with Fortune 500, small to medium-sized businesses, and startups. Today, Jeb serves as CEO of Sales Gravy, which has become a global leader in sales and customer service enablement solutions. Jeb spends more than 200 days each year delivering keynote speeches and training programs to high-performing sales teams and leaders across the globe. He is widely published on leadership, sales, account management, and customer service. He has been named one of the top 50 most influential sales and marketing leaders, and he is the most downloaded sales podcaster in iTunes history, amongst other accolades. Jeb is also the best-selling author of six other books, including People Buy You, The Real Secret to What Matters Most in Business, and People Follow You. The Real Secret to What Matters Most in Leadership. Jeb, congratulations on fanatical prospecting, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. I got to say, I think that
1: of all the authors I've interviewed, you are the second most prolific in terms of number of books published, only behind David Merriman Scott, <laughs> who's, done, <laughs> who's done
0: like 10 books. Well, I'm on my way. I'm going to catch him. You just if you, if you talk to him again, send him a note and say, Jeb's, Jeb's you know, fast on your heels.
1: Yeah, well, if Jeb Blunt says that, it, it might actually happen. So I, I read that bio and I just think, man, he gets a lot of stuff done. And then I started putting two and two together. And are you, you're in the uh, Augusta, Georgia area? I sure am. So there's another very famous person from Augusta, <laughs> Georgia. Do you, know who, uh, you want to take a
0: guess? I hit me. I'm. I, there's, a, there's a Woodrow Wilson was from here, so um, uh, you know. There's a, there's a lot of people.
1: James Brown, the legendary soul oh, singer, man. and uh, he was one of the very first uh, people inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: I along love with, James. Brown.
1: Along with Elvis, and he was from Augusta, and he was a tireless performer, and he even described himself as the hardest working man in show business. And so I read this, and then I think, wait a minute, Augusta, Georgia, Jeb Blunt is the hardest working man in sales. Jeb Blunt is the James Brown of sales.
0: You know what? I like that. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love James Brown, and, um, and, and you're not the first person that has said that. So, well, now um, you I'm know. Sure a- <laughs> you know
1: what music should be playing uh, on the big keynote stages when you come walking out from now on.
0: I love it. I mean that's one of my favorite songs. I feel good there's a we were just we were just downtown we were i was uh showing one of my business partners from up in the northeast We came down and I drove him by the Augusta National and we went down to um to, to to take a look at the james brown uh statue that's in downtown uh-huh and um and I'm not sure if hardest working is the is a good thing or a bad thing i spent i just spent two hundred seventy two days on the road last year and um and we uh we just get stuff done i mean that's the That's the thing. I guess the question is, you know, when you when you get into this business, you're going to write books and be a speaker and uh, and be a consultant and train people. If this is what you desire to do, I mean, shouldn't you I mean, shouldn't you essentially, you know, work your tail off to make that dream come true and to actualize that?
1: Yeah. Grind it out and good things will come. So the forward to your book was written by Mike Weinberg, who's been on the show. He's the author of, uh, amongst other, another he, he's written "New Sales Simplified." That's what we interviewed him about. He's also written another book about, more recently, about uh, sales management. Excellent books. Yep. And uh, he recommended uh, fanatical prospecting. No surprise. And uh, so we we had to have you on the show. And I just wanted to start uh, with a quick excerpt from Mike's forward. Like a prophet, Jeb Blunt boldly points out the lies of the loud, popular nouveau sales experts whose deadly advice leads salespeople and sales leaders astray. These experts preach to all who will listen that prospecting, proactively pursuing prospects, no longer works. What's particularly dangerous about this false teaching is that it is exactly what the struggling reactive salesperson wants to hear. Why do the hard work to prospect and self-generate new sales opportunities when some guru lets you off the hook by telling you that it's old school and doesn't work anymore? Why block time to pick up the phone if instead you can tweet, write blog posts, or play for hours? So, Jeb, you mentioned uh, at the, in the acknowledgement at the very end that this book has been in your head for 10 years, but you, you couldn't get it out, so you wrote six others. How how did this one finally come together?
0: The, you're exactly right. I mean, I've taught fanatical prospecting as a course to my clients for years and years and years. And you know there were other things that came up and other books that came up. People Buy You, uh, my bestseller um, of all the books I've written that one, you know, that book was sort of easy to write. This book was hard to write because this is this book is, is as a salesperson is who I am. So imagine like taking the very essence of who you are and then trying to put that on paper. And you know, you talk about the like the hardest working man in sales. And I and I and I I wear that like a badge and I appreciate that. And I think it's I think it's true. But but being a fanatical prospector, like really like everything in you every day you're out on the street trying to find more opportunities to put into your sales pipeline. You know that takes hard work, but it's really difficult to to like take take you know, like your DNA and then take that from what you know to do intuitively and instinctively, and then put that into a format that other people can understand. That's simple. Um, that takes the complexity out of it. And then gives people a real, and I'm not talking about this, you know, I I love the gurus and the, um, experts who write all this crap and, you know, they overcomplicate things and, and they use big words. And how do you write that in a way that the everyday average salesperson can pick the book up and say, this really connects with me. And the exercise of writing this book, um, there's no other way I can say it was, it was grueling. And the, um. A way of um, of of looking at it is uh, when I wrote "People Buy You." I mean, I had "People Buy You" in my head. Um, It was a keynote speech I'd given. It was a book that I really, really love. It's as I as a salesperson, it's how I go to market, how I sell. But that book I wrote in, you know, I don't know. It took me a couple of weeks of really hard writing to get that book out on paper, and of course, you know, there was there were a couple of months of editing behind that. This book took. Eighteen months of writing, of everyday focus, of um, you know going back and forth, of, of edits and changes and moving things around, and really thoughtfully going through the pages and thinking about if you pick the book up as a salesperson or a marketer, you wouldn't believe how many you know marketers we get that. We even have you know the military buying the book for their recruiters. Oh, so, really? Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, how can you buy a book that connects with all those people? who for a living have to generate leads or have to generate prospects. That's why this book was, was so hard to write. And um, I just, um, I've got my, my next book contract down and my wife, my wife's like, I I can't believe we have to do this again.
1: (laughs) You know, know, that reminds me, I interviewed Tom Martin a while back on the show. He's the author of the invisible sale. And afterwards uh, I said, Hey, you know, when are you going to do another book? And he said, you know, somebody asked my wife that when am I going to do my next book? And she said, ask his next wife. <laughs>
0: that's, good, that's the look that my wife gave me. I, I worked on her. Cause you know, as soon as I finish a book, I'm working on the next book. And yeah. for, for about, I don't know, the last four or five months, she's been, no, we're not writing another book. There's no more.
1: <laughs> Notice the and, we. Yeah. It's not a, it's not that, just one and, person.
0: And then, you know, and, and then she saw the the size of the next check that's coming. so, um, She's got you know she likes coach, so oh,
1: okay <laughs> so. yeah and and I think uh in the book you mentioned that you 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 ride horses or maybe have horses, so yeah I'm those can be my, expensive
0: yep There's a uh, a horse is a is a uh, big hole that you throw money into, and i'm I'm sitting on my farm right now looking out at my pasture i yeah. can, i can see
1: well, my wife uh, has a couple of them, so you know it, oh yeah, this may turn into a you know, a support group here. Um, but let's, <laughs> let's go on to uh, t- ask you a couple questions about the book I really want to ask. The first one is, what is the number one reason for failure in sales?
0: The number one reason for failure in sales is really simple. It's an empty pipeline. And, and what's the, the cause of an empty pipeline? A, it's <laughs> failure to prospect. I mean, number one. I mean, you can look at it any way you want to. Um, you can have, you can, you know, we can debate it. We can sit around. But the brutal Enduring fact about sales is the number one reason why salespeople fail is lack of activity, lack of prospecting. Number one reason. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, around eighty percent of new hires. So you hire a brand new salesperson. About eighty percent of new hires wash out. You know, they end up having their their all their stuff put into a box and they walk it out of their car and go work for someone else because they failed to prospect eighty mm-hmm. percent. And that says a lot also about sales leaders and what they they need to be doing. To hire people who are willing to prospect, who have the drive the prospect, but also about the fact that you know it's imperative that we uh, we help new hires and help all salespeople understand that they've got to be always looking, always focused on filling the pipeline. And if you don't, all you end up is and you've seen these salespeople—they're up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's abundance and scarcity, abundance and scarcity, until one day you know they they have they, their their pipeline is so empty that. It just, there's no recovery from it and that's expensive. So, you know, people don't always like my message. Um, A lot of times when I go into a company and sit down with their salespeople, um, it makes them mad. I had a salesperson this week told me that that's just offensive. And I said, well, it's (laughs) offensive that, you know, you're sitting here telling me that you don't make any any phone calls. But the fact is, is if you don't, you're going to fail. So if we can all understand that, um, then we can debate how you do it. But the reality is that you have to do it, and uh, you know you, this is a marketing podcast. So one of my largest clients, I was hired by the CMO of the company, and that's odd, right? Normally, as a sales leader or a sales, you know, consultant, um, you know, trainer, speaker, what have you, you're not hired by marketing.
1: And the <laughs> I, I think that's a good sign, though.
0: It is a good sign. Well, the CMO hired me because he's like, you know, we have amped up the number of leads we get through inbound sources, and I think every. You know, every marketing executive everywhere is looking at how do I use inbound, how do to use content marketing, what am I doing for lead gen. And that's an ever evolving discipline because of we wear, you know, we wear people out doing lead gen. So but but he's like what we've done is we've created this habit of our people sitting around waiting for us to generate leads. Mm. And and, you know, marketers work hard, but marketers know the brutal truth, too there's no way that they'll ever have enough money to provide enough leads for all their salespeople all the time. So this company went and took a look at what their salespeople were doing, a 40-hour work week. I just want you to think about this, a 40-hour work week. The salespeople were only working at selling activities seven hours of the week. Mm-hmm. So we're transforming the way this company is looking at prospecting and looking at inbound and connecting those two together because you know, there's a brilliant mashup when you can make those two um, disciplines uh, work together and optimize them and make sure that your salespeople are, you know, are are maximizing their day in front of the right prospects at the right time with the right message.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the marketing book podcast, but I love having authors of sales books. Because it seems like marketers are going to learn more about marketing from sales than they can from marketing. Otherwise, they start to, their heads fill with helium and they start thinking it's all about the marketing. But as uh, you and many others will say, nothing really happens until somebody sells something. And marketing and sales are getting – there's a gravitational pull that's just pulling them together and forcing them to work together more closely now.
0: And, and that's true. You know, if you think about marketing, like I, I advise salespeople, if you work for a really big company and, you know, I I work with some of the biggest companies in the world. And if you work for a big company, the best thing you can do as a salesperson is stay out of the gears. Let the marketers be marketers and you go be salespeople because those companies have the resources to bring in really smart people who can uh, d- develop marketing campaigns, develop lead gym campaigns. They can run you know all kinds of, of both advertising. They know how to do PR, so they can get earned media. I mean, they get that, right? They understand that piece. And the salesperson's job is basically to to work on you know on that platform that's been created. But when you start looking at the small and medium-sized companies, sales and marketing are really becoming a sort of a mashup. Mm-hmm. And it's in marketing's best interest to teach salespeople how to carry some of the marketing load. And in the book, we talk about the, you know, the, the law of familiarity. Can mm-hmm. I mean, don't you explain familiar- the, the law of
1: familiarity? That is very important for marketers to understand.
0: Well, the law of familiarity simply says that the, the more familiar a prospect is with you, the more likely they are to engage. So it's just a probability factor. Mm-hmm. And if we look at it as human beings, we all have a familiarity bubble that we live in. And when things are outside of our familiarity bubble, then we, we're we less likely to want to engage with those things. They don't feel very good to us. And when they, if they move into our familiarity bubble, then we feel more comfortable with them. And when I'm in front of salespeople, you'll dig this. I, I call it the Katy Perry paradigm. And they all laugh. You know, the Katy Perry paradigm. What the heck is that? But you've, you've listened to a song that you've heard that sounded stupid or you didn't like it. And then you know, down the road, you begin seeing it. And I found this, you know, Katy Perry songs are, you know, they're, they're, they're sometimes they're catchy and they're pop, but a lot of them are just dumb. And she wrote that song, um, the Eye of the Tiger song, you know, um, I'm the Eye of the Tiger, whatever. And the first time I heard that song, first of all, I, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's an 80s song, so you need to keep your hands off my stuff. Mm-hmm. And Don't go there, you know, girlfriend. The second, that's right. That's, the second thing I thought was, this is just dumb. I don't like this song. And then, you know, down the road, I found myself hearing it over and over and over again. And one day I'm driving from the Atlanta airport home and I've got my knees on the steering wheel, not very safe. So, um, all the teenagers listening, don't drive with your knees on your steering wheel. And, and to the and, listeners, don't do
1: that either. <laughs> a lot
0: of people are I've driving. Got, and, I'm, and I'm singing this Carrie, Katy Perry song that I initially hated. It's the top of my lungs. So as a marketer, right, you're a lot of your job in, in building familiarity is Is branding. Um, it is, you know, the, all the work that you do in Legion and providing your salespeople with that, the ability to, you know, to, to leverage content across social media sites and to have things that they can provide to their prospects. But also salespeople are doing the same thing. Every time a salesperson calls and leaves a good voicemail and they say their name, the name of their company, they create familiarity for those things every time they send an email. So if you think about that, right, um, as a marketer, this is really important, especially in small and medium-sized companies where salespeople, if, whether you want to admit it or not, are part of your marketing team. Mm-hmm. And as marketers, you're part of the sales team. And, you, and, and as those, things, those, those, those two places intersect, you can get a lot of power. The, the thing that marketers have to understand is that they've got to educate salespeople how to message better. And here's why when we used to think about marketing and branding you know we would think about marketing and branding as a discipline of say creating brand awareness and you, you'll, you, you know you still hear people talk about brand awareness brand awareness brand awareness and um and what i would suggest is that uh, marketing is no longer about brand awareness it's it's about brand interaction and so if you think about it that the value of your brand is the cum- cumulation or the cumulative impact of all of the interactions that a prospect or customer has with your brand. And those interactions are both, um, aesthetic. Like if you're, you know, if you're a building, they walk into a building or they're on your website, it's how it looks. Um, but it's also emotional. Um, it's human. How do you, de- you know, how they're dealing with the human beings and also technical, right? How are they dealing with the technology and all those experiences come together. And if you're a marketing team and a small company, you probably have a handful of people and, and the sales team is much bigger and broader than you are. Mm-hmm. Now we talk about prospecting both being efficient and effective, right? So we want we want to do as many prospecting touches as possible. That's good for marketers, because they get to they get to, the, the prospects get to hear your name more often, but they also have to be effective. And that means that the messaging has to be right. That means that salespeople need to be um, set up to succeed as they balance their prospecting across all of the different channels that are available to them today. The and if marketers get don't get involved in that, what you end up with is what I see all the time is some salesperson working for a SAS AS company, a software company, sending out you know, seven emails that by the time I get the seventh one, I hate the brand, I hate the company, <laughs> and I hate the salesperson because their email isn't relevant, it's not compelling, and it's destroying the brand interaction and in my experience with the brand because the salespeople don't know what to do. Yep. On, the, on the flip side of that, marketers have to understand that long-winded messaging and sales doesn't work You know, we've got to we've got to think about bullet points and we have to not think about how I'm building the most beautiful, grandiose, you know, collateral that I can. But how I'm stepping into my prospect's shoes and authentically seeing things from their perspective and developing my messages around things that connect with my prospect emotionally. And that is how you actually begin to actualize that experience that they have with your brand. And I I know that's a lot in one place but i hope that makes sense as we start thinking about how all these things mash up.
1: Well, it you know, change is hard and i'm sure you deal with that a lot with your your clients just it's it's uh not just about the voicemail, it's this the whole understanding of the way that people want to buy has changed. And it it brings to mind like a relay race where in the past, uh this is oversimplified, but you would think of marketing running one loop around the track and then handing a baton off to sales to then you know, run the second and final lap. And now it's like marketing and sales are both holding the same baton the whole time. And there's a lot that the uh, salespeople need to be doing. There's a lot the marketing people need to be doing. I think if marketing people were to read your book, they're going to be much, much more helpful and impactful uh, with, their, with their sales folks. Uh, Jeb, let me ask you another question, though. How do you get a salesperson to stop working?
0: <laughs> That's a, my, my, my favorite joke. Um, put a phone in front of them,
1: put a phone in front of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's the, you know, the telephone is, is the most powerful sales tool. It's the best sales tool. It's the most efficient sales tool. It's the most effective sales tool. And it's the most underused sales tool today.
1: Increasingly underused,
0: right? Here's a, yeah, here's a, here's an interesting study that we did just as a company. I'm the CEO of a company of a, of a, you know, a small company where, you know, we're, I'm um, just under $10 million. And so we've got a you know nice um, group of employees and we buy a bunch of stuff. You know, you're as a, as a company, we spend, you know, close to a million dollars on stuff every year that we buy from different vendors. And when you, when you think about it, if you're, if you're the CEO of a company, you're the perfect prospect. I'm a company buy stuff. I'm the CEO. I don't really buy anything. You have to talk to my CFO about that, but, uh, but if you come to me, at least I'd be a person that you would go to. We tracked all the prospecting touches that came into me specifically. Now, if you've you've been out there looking, I'm all over social media. Mm -hmm. Um, If you wanted my phone number, you can find it. If you want my email address, you can find it. You can connect with me through a dozen different ways. Uh, And I'm pretty easy and I tell you how to connect with me on the book to make it really easy. So if you want to know how to get me uh, on the phone, read the book. Uh, But the... um, But nobody ever calls me. So we looked at from May of last year until the end of January of this year, February 1st. We got 1,231 prospecting emails that came in via email box. People who were specifically prospecting to me to ask me to move into a sales conversation, to gather information, or to set an appointment with me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We got three phone calls.
1: (laughs) That's unbelievable.
0: Think about that. And here's what's here's what's really unbelievable. I'm doing business with two of those people now. The third <laughs> one was a moron. But other than that, I mean I, I gave them a mulligan. They they didn't they didn't they didn't take me up on trying it again. But two of them cold called me out of nowhere. I picked my phone up, because I answer my phone if, if I'm available and moved into a sales conversation with me. And they're doing business with me and they're good vendors. Yeah. Now now all I got to do is look at any sales leader in the in the face and say, Why are your salespeople hanging out all day long on social media? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And I by the way, just had this conversation with one of my top salespeople this week. I said, you know, we're we're I'm I'm getting a little bit antsy because the only things that we're selling, and this is in our consulting side of our business, and these are pretty big deals, are stuff that's coming to us, but we're not going out to anybody else. Mm-hmm. We got to go get on the telephone. And this cat always, he is always um, defaults to LinkedIn first. So he'll go to LinkedIn and send something to LinkedIn. And I'm saying, how, many, how much business are you getting from LinkedIn? Well, not a lot, but I'm, you know, I'm building relationships and I'm doing these things. And then he throws out the law of familiarity. And I said, well, why don't you just call people and ask them if they'll meet with you? And if they won't meet with you, then you go to LinkedIn. So for the last three weeks, we've been doing this experiment where every day he's doing a call block and, You know, I wrote the book. So I'm as a leader, as a sales leader, I just want you to understand that I do this. I deal with the same issues every sales leader deals with in getting their people, you know, to use the telephone. So every day he's been using the telephone for three weeks. Our pipeline is so rich. This is just three weeks of $25 a day in the morning for an hour. He just blocks an hour. The golden hours. It's the golden hours. Our, Our pipeline is rich. Our inbound calls have increased because. There's something amazing about prospecting. The universe rewards you. My people call them the sales gods. Um, He's had better conversations, met more people. Um, Yesterday, he had a 51 percent contact rate. 51 percent of the people that he called off of just a cold lead list answered the phone and had a conversation with him. And it's you know you you think about it. You're you know these are your salespeople and they know this stuff and you teach them this stuff. But if you're not coaching and you're not in there with them, salespeople tend to forget this because they see the telephone as painful. They see making calls to strangers as painful and they don't understand it. And the one thing that, you know, I'll tell you that I, I tell everybody is that, and this is a problem for marketers is that a, a lot of the, the, the stuff that's been done around the telephone, it just overcomplicates. And in fact, I think, I think a telephone is the most op- overcomplicated, you know, process in sales. It's pretty simple pick up the phone and you talk to people. And <laughs> wait, created, wait, slow down. We, <laughs> you, pick you pick up, up the phone, phone and, and you talk to people. Okay, no, I'm writing I mean, this down. But we have all these scripts and all this stuff, and we do all this research, and we do all these <sighs> things, and I'm like, crap, just call them. I mean, we know who they are. We know they're sales leaders. We know that they work for companies that have salespeople, and we know what the problems salespeople have. So call them and ask them a couple of questions. And in the book, we give you a, a five-step framework um, for doing that and just at, at, for the listeners I- inside the book there's a there's a secret code and the secret code gives you a uh, a free one-year subscription to prospecting.com our professional membership where there's and lots so of other it,
1: resources available oh too. my god
0: there's just tons of stuff in there and we just put in a brand new um, video training series on how to use a telephone and it's it's free to our members so plus you get the book you read the book but you can also go get me, you know, in the studio, really high-quality video, teaching you this five-step process, our framework, basically, for getting on the phone with people and being really efficient and effective and, and forgetting cheesy, no cheesy scripts, don't even teach a script. It's just how to have a conversation with someone, and it, it just, it works. Yeah, I and have you'll to hear me reading some, it yeah. uh,
1: through that, Jeb. I, 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 my reaction was, that's it? <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah. Wait a minute. No, no, it's got to be complicated. That's all the other sales books say, so... Well not all. Well, I
0: know, and that's what everybody wants to do. And that's the I think that's Friedrich's Law says that, you know, um, you know, I- anybody, you know, any any schmuck basically can take something that's simple and make it complicated. And the real key to success, um, the real genius is taking things that are complicated and making them simple. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a genius for dialing this into simplicity, but I, I do believe that my role in life, you know, that I'm my my mission in life. Is to take these things um, that seem extremely complex and making them simple. Now, by the way, that makes it really hard. You probably wouldn't believe this, but you know, Douglas, when you're like you are, um, you know, out there trying to sell like your stuff out of the training program, and you in, in the people that buy training programs really want it to be complex. Like they want you to use big words and have all of these things that they can look at in pages and pages and pages. Uh, and so you, it's, it's a real challenge when you don't have a lot of complexity in your, in your training programs, but the people that consume the training, the people that use it, the people that have to leave the training room and then go stand in front of a, a prospect, those folks need, need the, the, the process dialed into a, a formula or a framework that they can use in different contexts, in different situations, and it makes it easy for them. Like and I think that's man. one of the reasons. Yeah, and they, they need muscle memory, but you can't have muscle memory if you can't even practice it. And if you go back, you know, you mentioned Weinberg, uh, Mike Weinberg and his book, New Cell Simplified. You know, that book was a phenomenal success for Mike. And, um, and it, I, I think if you, you know, if you put Mike and I together in a room, you'd see that you and he and I are very much alike when mm-hmm. it comes to this concept of simplicity. But that's one of the reasons why I love that book. I've read that book, I don't know, six times. Because what Mike does is he takes, this All of this complexity, and he just really dials it into something that people can, can you know, connect with. And if you just look at the reviews that that book got on Amazon, you know, he's got two hundred and fifty or something reviews on that book, and they just keep growing. You know, that book. In fact, I would I would recommend anybody buy New Sales Simplified, buy Fanatical Prospecting. You put those two books together, you'll have the all you will ever need to be a great prospector through any channel that you choose. So you know, telephone, email. Social networking, um, prospecting, referrals, it's all there.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeb, one other question I wanted to ask uh, is, is a, I don't know if it's an elephant in a room, but you talk in the book about a subject that just really a lot of people have head trash about, and that's the importance of interrupting prospects. Can you explain why you still need to interrupt people and why people don't want to interrupt others?
0: Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, I, yeah, you, you don't I don't interrup- like getting uh, a, interrupted. Well, nobody likes to get interrupted, and, but, I mean, and, and we would all prefer not to be interrupted. You know, a salesperson of the other day ago in one of, one of our Fanatical Prospecting Boot Camps here from the Philadelphia area said, well, I just don't want to be pushy. And they said, well, you are pushy. I just, you know, I don't want to bother people. You are bothering people. I mean, <laughs> get over that's, it. that's what you're doing. You're a salesperson. You're, you are bothering people, and, and nobody wants to get interrupted. And, it, and what I do with salespeople, I say, you know, the reason that you feel this way is because you can see it yourself. If you're in your office or you're doing something and someone comes along, especially a stranger, and interrupts your day, then it's going to irritate you. So that's okay. But if, if, you, if, if we come to this brutal fact, right, you started this conversation off with the brutal fact that if you don't prospect, you fail. <coughs> we can just say, if you don't interrupt, you fail. If you don't interrupt, you fail. So if we get that, and we understand that salespeople that don't interrupt have skinny kids. Oh, right. Then we say, okay, if, if we have to interrupt in order to be successful in sales, because if you're not willing to interrupt in sales, go get another job. There, there are sales jobs, by the way, where you don't have to interrupt. They're called inbound inside sales. You sit at a desk all day long, and people call you. And it's one of the different places in sales that you can work. And there are people who are really, really good at that. You don't have to interrupt anybody. There's also a thing called retail. You can go work in retail and you can wait for people to come to you. Th- those are fine jobs, but they pay way less than the jobs where people get paid to interrupt. And there's a reason for that because the inbound sales jobs, right, the retail, what have you, that the marketers are the prospectors in those jobs. And the outbound jobs, the marketers are doing the support. So people who do that. So if you want to make more money, if you want to live at that level, if you want to operate, um, at, you know, in in an out, outbound, you know, either field or inside sales position, you got to interrupt. And you have to realize this: if we recognize that that interrupting is uncomfortable for your prospect, then I ask people, what would you want if someone's going to interrupt you? What would you want? And what they say is, what I would really want is I would want someone to get to the point. And I go, yeah. So. You're calling up, and you've got this, you know, four-paragraph script script that somebody in your marketing part, you know, department, you know, did wrote for you, and you're trying to hack through this thing, and the customer tells you to go, you know, take a hike. Well, I don't blame them, you know, because that, that's you know that sucks. The yeah, and, and let day, me ask English, uh,
1: Jeb: Was the very first line of that script written by the marketing person? Uh, is uh, how are you doing today?
0: Yeah, how are you doing today? I do it all the time. Yeah, how you talk about today?
1: how that's the worst possible thing to say.
0: It is. When people call me up, like if you're gonna interrupt someone and the and you're gonna, you know, you're you're like I tell you, get to the point, right? I'm gonna interrupt right. you, get to the point and be relevant. One of my CEOs um that I that I coach um was describing this and she calls it the three B's. She said, if a salesperson calls me, I need them to be bright, be brief, and be gone. And I thought
1: that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that so sounds like what you wrote what you up need. in
0: your uh in the book. Yeah, so you need to, you need to have the – you need to be brief, be bright, be gone. So you call – I'll call you up and say, hey, how are you doing? And when salespeople do that to me, I, I, say, I say I was doing fantastic until you called me. Do you want a mulligan? Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, so I think that you know, if you – it feels like you're supposed to be doing that. It feels good, but you're wasting their time. And the best way you can respect your prospect's time is to get to the point. And if you're a salesperson and you're listening to this, if you call up and just think about all the conversations when you ask the person how they're doing, usually that ends in an awkward pause. They stop for a second and they go, who are you and what do you want?
1: Well, it's, so obviously, it's a obviously a sales
0: call. Obviously sales calls because the only people that call you up and ask you how you're doing are people you know and salespeople. <laughs> yeah.
1: So well, it, this is it, it's hard work. That's why uh, sales can be enormously rewarding. There was one other thing I want to ask you about, and uh, in the book you say that it, you talk about rejection, and it's a very real thing. And you say if rejection just rolls right off your back like so many drops of water, and you feel nothing, you are probably a psychopath. Jeb, yeah. what do you what do you mean by that?
0: I, I'm a you know I'm a student of sales, and I've got. You know, I've got a library of sales books that's huge, and I've seen every sales speaker you can possibly imagine speak. And I'm, I'm a junkie for, you know, for sales. And I've listened to sales trainers and for, since I was in college. And the one thing that's always bothered me about trainers and and sales junkies are basically, hey, you know, rejection is not personal. Don't take it personal. And you know, I've made thousands and thousands and thousands of cold calls. I've done. I've been rejected so many times you can't even imagine it, and to sit there and tell people, "Hey, it's not you know, don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting your proposition. Um, you know, just let it roll off your back." Um, it's it's just it's pandering and it's um it's just insincere. Well, and I think it,
1: it makes you tune out everything else they say.
0: It well it does because it's just not it's just not true. Rejection hurts. And when you get told no, it hurts. And it's it's having mechanisms for, for dealing with that um, that are important, but it's also reducing the probability that you're gonna get rejected up front. So if you call people up and say, hey, how are you doing? you're actually increasing the probability that you're gonna get rejected and you're gonna get resistance. So it's having a process or a framework for you know calling people up or approaching them in person that reduces that that initial you know, rejection and then having mechanisms for managing the emotion of rejection. And there's, there's both the, the emotion that comes from the limbic system or the, the emotional part of your brain that that's, you know, I don't feel important or I feel bad or I feel like this person doesn't like me. I mean, you have that. That's a human thing. But you also have the, the emotions that come from um, the, the autonomic part of your brain or the your sympathetic nervous system. Some people call it the reptilian brain, which is your fight-or-flight mechanism that kicks on, you have absolutely no control over that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as you get rejected, there's part of your brain that kicks in, drops some adrenaline into your bloodstream, you know, um, get your muscles prepared to fight-or-flight, and that initial punch in the gut that you feel, that initial, um, you know, your heart racing, all of those things, that's a real a neurophysical, uh, um, you know, in, in effect. I guess it's happening. Yeah, don't pretend neuro- it's not happening. With, no, you can't. But you can recognize that it does happen, and then create mechanisms for managing that, and, yeah, and be aware and, of it. And be you can if and if I know, like I teach people about how the brain works around rejection, so that people can visualize it and see it. And if you can visualize it and see it, you can control it and manage it. And I think that the um, <clears throat> I think more than more importantly is understand that over time, right? We 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 learn and gain um, obstacle immunity, <clears throat> so. Every time we hit that obstacle of rejection, we get better and better and better at, at recognizing that we still feel that way and then getting past that. So for example, you know if you're a let's say that you're an army ranger and you're, you know, you're going on your first jump out of an airplane. The Which first I've time, done. you're yeah, okay, good. So you know the first, the first time one was very face, exciting, yeah. Yeah, but after you do it a bunch of times, you still feel that way. It always feels that way. Except that you've created the mechanism for managing that feeling, so that it doesn't um, it doesn't overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I would suggest, and that's what my message in the book. and my message to people is is look, you still have to do it. You still have to deal with rejection. If you're unwilling or unable to deal with rejection, then sales might not be the right thing for you.
1: And, but, but and you're not a bad person if if sales is not
0: right yeah. for you. But to tell people. You shouldn't feel anything. That's why I go to the psychopath thing. The only people that don't feel anything are psychopaths, right. and I don't meet psychopaths. I mean, I don't, I don't know psychopaths. I mean, most of them are in prison. So, um, right. so I think that I think that it's in, and this goes back to the simplicity. I think that we have to be, you know, just be careful of how we, you know, how we deal with people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that and we were really only able to scratch the surface here, but uh, I think we better wrap up because your time is valuable. Let me ask you, uh, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: I think that the, if, if there was one thing is It's not that, a fair question, Jeb. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, I, but I do think I think there's I, I, it's, not a, it's not a fair question, but I think the one thing is that I really am going to give you two things that it's don't overcomplicate it.
1: Mm, yeah, it's,
0: you know, prospecting is a contact sport, so there's not a lot of nuance in it. Just do it. Yeah, And, and get started. It,
1: don't don't try to make it perfect before you start. That was another big ex- takeaway from your book.
0: Exactly. And then secondly, it's a balance. You know, I, this is not a book about telephone prospecting or email prospecting or um, in you know in person prospecting or social prospecting. It's a book about all of those things. Yes. And it's how do you balance that based on where you are in your career, where what your territory is, what your what your product line is, what you sell, how the sales cycle—it's balancing your prospecting so that um, so that you increase the probability that you're going to bring the the highest quality deals into your pipeline. And and so this is not a hey do it my way. This is the only way to do it. Book. It's recognizing that all salespeople are different, um, but it is giving you the, these frameworks and these these core principles and laws of the universe that exist. I didn't make them up God made them up and they're there and you, you can choose to either you know either you know understand them and leverage them to your to your you know to your um, uh, to your advantage or um, you know you can jump out of an airplane with a without a parachute on and I promise you that you may not believe in gravity but you're going to find out really quick that it exists.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it is true. I mean, the prospecting is part of a balanced diet of, of lead generation, and it's not like you're saying this is the only way to do it, but this is a vitally important part of it. Yes. Uh, what books have inspired your work and career?
0: Uh, you know, th- we were talking earlier, um, you know, the one that always comes to mind is How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a book that I think that, you know, Dale Carnegie wrote the book back in the, what, the 20s, and it's still, you know, one of the best-selling books of all time. Uh, I love that book, and I think that people should read it every year. Uh, one, of, one of the early books I read in my career was uh, Zig Ziglar's "See at the Top. Mm. Um, I love that book. Uh, Linda Richardson's um, Stop Telling, Start Selling. And one of my absolute favorite books is, uh, is Good to Great. Oh, and yeah. I, I read that book often. One of, the, one of the greatest thrills of my life is I got off an airplane in Chicago a few years back, and um, there was a bookstore right across from the gate. And I walked out, and there was, um, there was Good to Great. And then there was people follow you and there was people by you and they were all sitting next to each other on the shelf. And oh. um, I was like, oh, my God, I took a picture of it. And uh, I thought if I, can, if I can hang out anywhere near uh, Jim Collins, then, I'm, uh, then I'll, uh, maybe some of his, uh, his genius will rub off on me.
1: Yeah, I read that book so many years ago and still so much of it is, was just burned into my consciousness. It's so, such a great book. And in your career, did you ever get to meet Zig Ziglar?
0: I never met Zig. I, I got I sat next to his wife once at a um, at a uh, seminar, uh, and I've gotten close enough to him, but I never met him personally. And it's one of the things that uh, you know now that he he's gone, I, I deeply regret that I didn't go get on an airplane and park myself and be a, just a stalker until he would meet me and I could shake his hand. But no, I didn't. And, yeah. and uh, Jim Rones in uh, that same thing, I I really missed the opportunity to meet um, uh, Jim and um, and Zig.
1: Yeah, yeah. Are there any recent or upcoming books you recommend or are looking forward to reading?
0: Yeah, you know, since this is a marketing podcast, um, you we mentioned uh Mike's book, uh Sales Management Simplified. I think uh that's a book that I would definitely read. But there's a couple of books that I'm reading right now um that I'm I'm really um digging, and one of them is called Audience. Oh um, great book a, a fantastic book. I'm recommending that to everybody. I love that book. Uh and um and I'm reading a book called The Five Minds of the Future by Howard Gardner, and it's it's a more of an academic-type book, but for, um, for marketers and for salespeople, I, I mean, I love studying like human behavior and how people operate, because you know, we talk about prospecting as a context sport, but sales is a human um, interaction sport, so mm. sales is nuance. Once you get into the pipeline, I mean, there's a science to it, but there's also an art, so I like to I like to, um, to, uh, to look at that, and so those two books, you know, those three books right now are, you know, are, are things that I'm really looking at, and um, and I'm I'm also I'm starting to read a book called The Science of Fear, but I'm just getting into that book, so I'm not quite sure what it's going to be like. But I love audience, and I'm uh, I'm right in the middle of that book, and I'm going to read it again as soon as I'm done.
1: Yeah, I interviewed Jeff Roars about that book uh, on the show a while back, and that's one of those uh, books that just helped to rewire my marketing brain. It, yeah, I thought it was phenomenal, um, but it's not surprising that you also like books that uh, have a healthy
0: dose of psychology in them. No, I love books like that. Yeah. So uh, there's uh, another book. There's, I think there's another book that I'll mention while we're doing this. is a book called Subliminal. Um, I've read it twice. I'm going to read it again, and I can't tell you who the author is. We'll find um, it and put but,
1: a link in the show
0: notes. Yeah, at if book you're Podcast a marketer, if you're a salesperson, read Subliminal. It's a fun book to read. Um, but it'll, it'll teach you a little bit about how people and operate and what are some of these, these, these universal u- human frameworks that allow you to do a better job of influencing and persuading people.
1: Mm, that's great. Uh, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book?
0: Um, well, you can go to Uh Now, that's a membership site, so there's, you, there's really nothing that you can get into there. Uh, but you can learn about the book. Um, but if you buy the book, you get a free membership. So it's like a $1,200 value. Um, but we extended. <laughs> You're the making book it we hard it. not
1: to buy the book, Jeff.
0: I mean, we. I mean, it's a great. It's just a great thing. With to, with this book was originally 120,000 words long, and of course, my publisher had a heart attack when I sent it to them. So we're, you know, we're we're adding every day. We add more stuff to the website. We're like, there's so much to be written on prospecting. So why not create a place for our members to come? Uh, there, there's discussion groups. There's forums. There's training programs. There's free downloads. And the library gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you can go there. You can go to my website, which is jebblunt.com. And my last name is spelled B L O U N T. And all my contact information is there. You can catch me on Twitter. I'm at salesgravy. On Instagram, I'm at salesgravy. Um, I'm on Facebook. My I'm slash salesgravy. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, and you can also find me at my flagship website, which is my you know biggest part of my business. And that's at salesgravy.com, S-A-L-E-S-G-R-A-V-Y, like gravy on your biscuits.
1: Yes, and um, it's dot- a great company name. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so the name of the book is Fanatical Prospecting, the Ultimate Guide to Opening Sales Conversations and Filling the Pipeline by Leveraging Social Selling, Telephone, Email, Text, and Cold Calling. The author is Jeb Blunt. Jeb, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you, sir. Wow!
1: <laughs> And that closes the book on episode 71 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to lots of free marketing guides. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Again, that's marketingbookpodcast.com. I love to hear from listeners like you. I really, really do. Which interviews have you found most helpful? What kind of marketing challenges are you facing? Let me try to help point you in the right direction. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Or heck, just tweet me up using hashtag marketingbook. And please join us next time as we talk with Gabriel Weinberg about his book, Traction, How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Customer Growth. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: I feel nice.
1: I shiver in So nice. So nice. I got you. I know this sounds absurd, but would you pronounce your name for me?
0: It's Jeb, and the last name is, is pronounced blunt.
1: Okay. So it's like,
0: spelled B-L-O-U-N-T. Mm-hmm. And um, like Emily Blunt. Her her real name is B L O U N T, but she was smart and just took the O out so everybody know how to pronounce it. <laughs> okay. And if I could go back, like and read, and start all over again in 2006 when I wrote my first book, I would have start. I would have just been B L U N T because it would have been so much easier. Yeah. Um, well,
1: the horse is out of the stable.